Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share a shared death experience, which, which is kind of unique. We'll talk about it in a moment. I do want to say, too, stick around afterward because we've got several wonderful uh, listener comments that, uh, that I want to share. And, and so stick around after the uh, experience to hear those. And uh, the uh, shared death experience, if you've been listening, you'll, you'll know that a shared death experience is, a, is like a near-death experience, except that instead of it being the person who's dying having the experience, sometimes someone who is either at the bedside or someone who is particularly close to the individual will have what fits the description of a near-death experience while at, or near the time of the person's death who is dying. And this is usually an otherwise healthy person, which is a really unique corner of near-death experience research. And in fact, while this has been happening for probably centuries um, and you know throughout human history, uh, it's only been very much known in the past couple of decades for the simple reason that there hasn't been enough of a sharing of information for people to say, oh, that happened to me too. And sometimes they, they just have no explanation for what they're experiencing, so they just kind of keep it to themselves. And other times it's just a very sacred experience, and so they don't want to share it because of that. All very understandable reasons. But because of the expansiveness of the ability to get this information around, we're finding out that it's actually quite common which is interesting. So again, to reiterate, this is where a person is dying and another person, either someone they're close to or who is physically close to the bedside, has what fits the description of a near-death experience. And our shared death experience today is the experience of Sharon Prentice, who wrote the book Becoming Starlight, A Shared Death Journey from Darkness to Light. And I'll preface this by saying that uh, Sharon had had a really rough life. Uh, I mean, a really rough, rough time. Lost a lot of people that loved her. And um, dealing with the grief was very difficult for her. And during the experience that she has, or at least the context of her experience, is that her husband is dying. And she's just distraught. You know, she's just... And I don't know, we'll talk more about shared death experiences and and so forth afterward, but I don't know whether um, the experience itself is brought on partially as a result of grief or or of emotional turmoil, or if it's the other way around, a a peaceful, loving reassurance that uh, comes over the person resulting in the experience. My gut is that it's, while either of those may impede or help with having such an experience, I think that it's an experience that is unique to the individual as God sees fit. I think if he sees, you know what, I think she could use this right now. Or maybe it's part of her life plan to have this experience so that she is assured of my presence in order to you know, strengthen her faith or whatever, you know, um, whatever the reason that God would have. Just like only one in 10 people or so who 
come close to death have a near-death experience. So probably one in 10 of individuals in the right circumstances have the potential. And, and I don't know, I'm just throwing that number out there, maybe one in 100 or something, since they do seem to be less common than the near-death experience. But anyway, we'll talk more about that afterward. But um, let's get into the experience. This is again from uh, Sharon Prentice's book, Becoming Starlight. She says, and she's at her husband's bedside as he's passing away. She says, My mind raced. I felt dizzy and flushed. My world had begun to shift somehow, and I felt off just a notch from the physical world I lived in. It was a space between thought and a reality that was real, but wasn't real. I don't know how long I lay there, or on the floor, on my knees, but at some point I rose to a standing position, powered by some force of will not my own. Standing there, my world spun out of focus. The floor had disappeared and become mist, even as I stood upon it. The wall and window turned to mist as well. Suddenly the room's confines were surreal. Not there, but still there. I watched as the ceiling floated above me, and it was in that moment that I noticed the stars. So many stars. It was as if a billion stars had come to collect me. I could see each and every one of them, separate and distinct in and of themselves, but at the same time, all part of one whole, one enormous pure light. The light itself wasn't white or really any color I could have ever described, I could ever describe, just purity as I imagined purity would be on the first day of the universe. I shouldn't have been able to look at this light without being blinded, but it was so comforting and so inviting that I felt myself being drawn inside. I went freely. These stars had an inviting presence, and I wanted to lose myself within them. I felt a sense of belonging to something that I didn't quite understand, but did understand on some deeper level, a level untouched and unknown for all of my 30 years on this earth. Time slowed to nothingness. I found that it was no longer a function of my reality. I had no idea that what was happening to me, or I had no idea what was happening to me or what I was witnessing. I only know, I only knew that it was right. I felt like dancing within the light, and I found myself being twirled around and round so quickly that I couldn't see where I was as if I'd been blindfolded. Was this a game of hide-and-seek within the light? Then the spinning stopped, and I saw him alive and well. Within that starlight stood my love. I tried to focus my eyes on him and nothing else. There he was, smiling at me, not speaking, so I spoke. I can see you, I said. Again, he just smiled at me, a smile so full of joy I thought I would cry. But I found that there was no tears in me, only joy. He stood before me and I before him, each wanting to hold and comfort the other. But despite this yearning, 
we each knew somehow that we were exactly where we were supposed to be. He was at peace, but it was more than just peace. I have no words for what it was. He just was. The look on his face as he watched me was so full of love. But I could see that he recognized all that was happening to him and me. In this place, I was being supported by some unseen presence, held by something or someone that was incredibly loving and filled with compassion for me. I knew I was breathing, but it felt as if someone was breathing for me. The stars were still there, warming me and cocooning me, holding me up with such tenderness that somehow being there felt more natural than anything I'd ever experienced. I relaxed into the light, and it became one with me. Or did I become one with it? I simply do not know. All I knew was that there, where I ended, the light began. And where the light ended, I began. I was there, alive with starlight. I had become starlight. I was more aware of myself than I had ever been in my entire life. I knew everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be, standing there, being held there, in that place of perfect peace. I felt a recognition of all that I was, all that he was, all that simply was. And there was something else, a knowledge that I'd been there before, cradled in that place of love. The feeling was an old one, a long ago forgotten memory that had lain untouched and unrealized in my soul since the day I was born. In this place, held by ma a magnificence that was somehow mine, I finally rested. I knew I was in the presence of the one who formed me with his hands and his thoughts before the very beginning of time. I was in the presence of my God. He was the presence within the stars. I, it was his light that held me up. It was he who'd sent the stars to collect me, to gather me to him. It was his love and his compassion that had blessed me with this journey, where I could see and know that my beloveds were safe and secure, alive and well at home with him, where we all began. I felt safe in this place that seemed to be offering me forgiveness and unconditional love, but I was also confused and dazed. How long I would be able to stay, I didn't know. Staying became came uttermost in my mind, and I forgot all else for a while. I did sense somehow that Steve would not be staying with me. He would be going away moving to a place where I would not be allowed to follow. And in due time, or something like time, I saw him drifting away. His smile changed, and he wore upon his face an expression so gentle, so loving, I knew it had to mean goodbye. Now I'm going to skip a bit, because I want you to get this book if you're if you feel so inclined, uh, Becoming Starlight by Sharon Prentice. Uh, I'm going to skip to when she actually came back, just uh, for the sake of 
commenting on it. She says, I was given no choice but to return to my existence, and I soon found myself standing firmly upon a solid floor in a hospital room lit with dingy fluorescent lights. The stars still shone in a picture window that encompassed one full wall, and my eyes and heart searched desperately for that one pinpoint of light that would still speak to me, but I couldn't find it again. I was determined to stay focused and remember all that had happened. I closed my eyes and memorized the feeling, as if that were even possible. As the stars left me, deposited me back into the physical world that I knew, I felt saddened and more alone than I'd ever felt in my life. Leaving that place of grace, that place where time stood still, or did not exist at all, made me feel as if I was dying. And I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I Again, I encourage you to get this book because there is more to the experience and, and it's worth reading. And her you know, experiences afterward and before just um, do beautiful uh, in in expressing this experience that she has. But uh, let's let's talk about it a little bit. First off, she was kneeling on the floor um, near her husband when this began, and she started feeling something come over her, and she stood up uh, from the way she says it, uh, by some force of, of will, not my own. So she stands. She's standing up in the hospital when this begins. And as she's standing there, um, the wall and window turn to mist. And as they turn to mist, the room's confines were surreal. Not there, but still there. So it's like reality is kind of breaking down around her. And soon she finds herself in the midst of stars. And these stars are drawing her forward. And and she's moving forward. And this is very um, descriptive of what many people experience as the tunnel. They say, I didn't see a tunnel, but I, I was racing through space. Or they say, I you know was going toward a star or or sometimes many stars in this case. And and as she's going, it, it sounds like she's spinning uh, at some point, or maybe throughout this time. It's unclear. And it sounds like it's dizzying, but not in a physical sense, more of like just confusing to her mind. You know, she's... But she felt like she was dancing with the light. She found herself twirling around. And then the spinning stopped, and when... She stops. She sees her husband standing there, uh, just smiling at him, full of love. And beautiful, beautiful. But then as she's basking in this love and light, she, is, she becomes more, um, more attention. Uh, she has going toward the light that she recognizes or, or identifies as being the presence of God. She says, I was in the presence of God. He was the presence within the stars. It was his light that held me up. This sounds very characteristic of a near-death experience. And and unique to this shared death experience, she's there with her husband, who has just died, or who is dying. And um, not many people get to be there with 
a loved one, let alone one who is dying right now. Sometimes they'll be with a guide who could be a grandparent or parent or whatever. But, uh, but this is the first time that I have heard of somebody going into the light with someone and that person being aware of their presence. Seems that most often, at least the, from the experience, the shared death experiences that I've read, most of the time, the individual who is actually dying is not aware of the presence of, or at least doesn't acknowledge the presence of the person who is having the shared death experience. And, and that's kind of interesting to me. But the fact that he does, and he's smiling at her, and then even has a chance, in essence, to say goodbye as he drifts off is beautiful. And I kind of jumped around in there so that uh, you could get that in there. But I, fascinating, fascinating. This is absolutely uh, in line with what I read about near-death experiences and what the experience is like, what it feels like, what they experience. And yet she was not anywhere near death. Now she does say that she was almost overrun with grief and so that may have an effect, I don't know. But like like I started to talk about before, I'm not sure if near-death, I mean shared death experiences are the result of grief or, or excessive emotion or what, or if they are just something that happens to happen to some people. And whether it's because they are more spiritually in tune than others, whether they're more awake spiritually or open to the possibility, or whether it really is fairly random, I don't know. And I would be interested to ask Sharon if she had had any nearly dying experiences previously. And I say that as a way of saying, you know, you don't have to have a near-death experience um, to nearly die, or vice versa, <laughs> but uh, but for some reason it helps. If you've had an experience nearly dying, it seems that it opens you to some extent, which which kind of makes me suspect that people have more experiences when they're nearing death or having death experiences than they know about, because often people don't remember it for years, and when it comes, it comes so clearly that it you know, it, it kind of begs the question of how is it that this reality on the other side is so much more real to them and feels so much real when they forgot the experience for 10 years. And yet it very much seems to be so. That's something that uh, I don't fully understand yet, but seems to be very common. And so, you know, if Sharon had some experience almost dying or something really, really traumatic in her life previously, it may have cracked open the veil to her in such a way as to make it more likely that this would or could occur. Very interesting. Very interesting. If you've had a shared death experience, I would love to hear from you, and I would love to hear your experience, because that's something that, while less common, is actually for many, a greater uh, evidence of the validity of near-death experiences for the simple reason that it takes away almost all of the physical ramifications 
a dying brain or or the rush of oxygen because of the uh, physical trauma that's being experienced. This, more often than not, from what I've heard, happens to those who are peacefully at the bedside. That seems to be the most common. Now, I get the impression Sharon was like traumatically, you know, grieving at the bedside. And so that that uh, uh, peaceful sense may not be a prerequisite, but maybe it helps. Maybe not. I don't know. But it does suggest that there doesn't have to be trauma in order for somebody to experience that. And if they're not experiencing trauma themselves, you know, whether through grief or whatever emotions, and if they're just peacefully at the bedside, often it's a nurse who is just caring for the person. They know they're dying and they just want to be there to hold their hand during the process. Uh, and and there seems to be something about physical touch that increases the chances too, just because more often um, when they are touched, touching a hand or something, they're more likely to have the experience. I don't know why. I don't know what that is, but maybe it's the proximity of the spirits. Maybe it's the, uh, it's just the, uh, the kindness and lovingness of the gesture. Anyway, um, very interesting. So again, Becoming Starlight by Sharon Apprentice, I'm sorry, Sharon, I keep saying Apprentice, <laughs> by Sharon Prentice, and you can find that on Amazon and uh, in bookstores. So, also, we have some, uh, some comments to share, and I'm excited to share these. And this, I'm excited to say, is an audio comment from Ben, and it's uh, one that was emailed to neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. So, I'll go ahead and share that comment with you. Hi, Chaz. My name is Ben, and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for the podcast. I find it very inspiring, and uh, also your intention and your voice um, and inspiration about the topic, I just love it, and I fall asleep to it basically every night. I find your voice soothing and the topic soothing and inspiring and comforting. Um, Oddly, my family doesn't. I told my dad I'd fall asleep to this near-death experience podcast. He's like, "Oh, oh, I wouldn't want anything to do with that. And I was thinking to myself, man, that's so odd. I find it so soothing. But, uh, you know, the topic itself is a big one. And there still seems to be so much to investigate in that realm. Um, Since, you know, Dr. Dr. Raymond Moody came out with his book and kind of popularized the term, um, which I'm so grateful for. So on my own spiritual path and things that I picked up and learned about, it seems that the near-death experience person has a heightened awareness. And a heightened awareness is also what the mystic experiences. Um, sometimes in prolonged periods of time, Buddhists call it satori, where one may experience um, a more expansive consciousness or awareness of the presence of God. Um, sometimes you might call that a deeper joy or ecstasy or bliss even. And I think the near-death experience person really goes into a heightened sense of awareness. And I think that's what they have to thank for the spiritual gifts they experience. Um, And, you know, you might have a different opinion on that. But when I've been into deeper spiritual states myself, I've experienced spiritual gifts. Um, Just recently, I was uh, 
meditating and praying in a, in our local cathedral. And uh, I went to a coffee shop right after that, and it was extremely packed in there. And in my mind popped up instantly the, the a seat that was available. And I, and I walked directly to the seat, and sure enough, it was around the corner. It, from what I could tell, it was the only seat available in the whole place. So, you know, that's one spiritual gift or, or happening that's happened to myself. Um, and I, I feel like people that have gone through near-death experiences often have these things and it seems like they come and go and are but they're around more often right after the experience and I think you've talked about that um, but really I think what it is is just a heightened sense of awareness and it seems like when you look at saints the lives of the saints a lot of them had spiritual gifts for long periods of time and uh, I think that's cool I think it I think that as we surrender our personal self and allow God to live our life or you know thy live the thy will be done that um, God's gifts shine through, you know, that person. And obviously when a person realizes they can't die and they lose that fear of death, um, I, I think their awareness or consciousness uh, can expand quite rapidly. I, I think fear holds us back so much in life, um, fear of death in particular. And what a blessing and boon that a near-death experience, a, a, a person that has that experience can go on living and, and with a depleted sense of fear of death. What a what a blessing. Um, and also, often I find that they have a a dedication and devotion towards the relief of suffering of humanity, um, which is another saintly aspect. You know, many saints throughout time had the devotion to the relief of suffering of others. In Buddhism, they call that the bodhisattva. Um, I guess in Christianity, we just call that being a good Christian or, or a saintly aspect of being a Christian. Um, what other aspect? Oh, and I'm sure you've talked about this, and I might have fallen asleep when it was talked about, but the difference between an out-of-body experience and a near-death experience. Um, I'm sure you've talked about this and understand the difference, but one thing I've learned that I just wanted to share really quick is that an out-of-body experience People can do can learn to do that at will. I had a friend who would meet his wife in a different realm, and and they actually made love. And uh, and I've known people. There's an institute in Florida, and I forget the person's name, but um, he teaches people to leave bodies and uh, leave their body. Uh, you know, and I think many people have had those kind of dreams where they're flying around at night, that type of stuff. Obviously, that's a bit different than a near death experience. And my understanding is that on a on a subtle level we all know we're not our bodies and so we don't go have like the spiritual gifts right after an out-of-body experience you, I think if you researched it you'd find that people really aren't their sense of awareness or fear of death might still be there and their sense of awareness hasn't expanded as much as a near-death experience um, it seems like a near-death experience is much more drastic and life-changing um, whereas out-of-body experience kind of doesn't really change the person as much from uh, from once it's happened, um, but the near death experience there seems to be radical changes. Um, like Howard Storm went from not caring about God and basically spitting on the idea of religion and God to now being a pastor. Um, years ago, I bought his book and I sent it to him. He signed it for me and sent it back. I thought that was really sweet. I love Howard, um, Betty J. Edie. I love her. Um, Danny and Brinkley love his uh, inspired way of being as well. So, you know, we have a lot of blessings to be thankful for that have come from the near-death experience. 
And uh, it's odd to me that more people aren't interested in it. When I bring it up to religious people, they really want nothing to do with it often. I haven't found one that really cared. Um, but I do have some beautiful spiritual brothers and sisters that are on their path with God and seek enlightenment or, or you know, live and seek unconditional love as a way of being that are very motivated. And these friends seem to be inspired by and want to learn about near-death experience. So I, I find that interesting. But I just wanted to leave with saying thank you. And uh, um, yeah, I might send you a little second recording just to, uh, I also have a podcast. I don't, and this, you can cut this part off if you can. <laughs> I don't want to proselytize, but I, I want to say thank you. You run a great podcast and God bless you and all the listeners. Thank you so much, Ben. What a great comment. And and though Ben is a little too humble to share his uh, podcast, I'm not. <laughs> his uh, podcast is called, called The Pathway of the Mystic. And I'm going to include a link in the show notes. It is called, or the, the URL is mysticpathway.podbean.com. That's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And, uh, and, I'm going to start listening to this podcast. I, I think it looks very interesting. I've just scanned through it, and, and it looks very cool. So I, you know, take a look at it uh, and, and listen to some of what Ben has to say. He's got some great comments in here. First off, it, he mentions that, you know, he brings it up with people and tries to, you know, say, hey, you should check out this near-death, you know, research thing. And, and, I get kind of the same experience. There are some who are like, that is so cool. And then others that are like, oh, that's interesting. And just kind of, you know, turn the other way or change the subject or whatever. And, and I, you know, I, I don't push it on them because I understand it's, it's uncomfortable for some people. And for a number of reasons, for some, it, you know, it, it just, it, it's just an incredibly strong evidence of the existence of God. So somebody who's atheist, it's going to be uncomfortable to them because of that. And they're just like, no, 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 no. You know, I don't, and, and they don't want to get into a fight. So they're just, you know, oh, that's interesting, you know. And then those who are religious, often it's not dead set clear exactly what they expect to hear from their religious upbringing, which to them means it's a threat to their religious ideas. And I think that's really unfortunate that uh, people tend to see it that way. And, you know, just being one who once didn't study these things and now does, and yet having always been a very deeply religious and spiritual person, um, and, and maybe that's the difference, is that, you know, there are religious people who aren't spiritual. Uh, they, they don't take on a spiritual aspect to their lives. And there are those who just focus on the spiritual and are not interested in the religious side. I've been one all my life who is deeply interested in both, and maybe that's one of the reasons it, uh, it uh, interests me. But, uh, but for someone who is maybe religious but not spiritual, they are going to have a hard time with it because it doesn't match their religious values. But uh, for those of us which I think are more often than not religious people. I don't know. I, maybe it's just the people I know that are religious. Um, they're also generally quite spiritual. And I think if they give it a chance and, and approach it with the true uh, definition of skepticism, which is not 
um, you know, I don't believe stuff, which we've kind of come to call a skeptic somebody who doesn't believe stuff, when in reality a skeptic is someone who refuses to draw conclusions. So they say they're skeptical, and that can be used in that sense that I'm not going to draw a conclusion from what you're saying, but I'm open to more than what I already believe or already understand. I'm not going to draw a conclusion from what I understand. And I think that kind of skepticism is how we ought to approach most of the things that we learn in life. Uh, I think we ought to approach them with the idea of, of, you know, there's more to this than what I understand, no matter how much or little I understand about it. And so, you know, I think what people tend to do is when they first hear it, they're like, okay, I don't get that. I'm just going to back away from it because they kind of approach it like, like a, a missionary might. But yeah, I was going to say, when I first started studying these things, I approached it very carefully and I didn't discuss it with people because I wanted to be able to back down if I felt uncomfortable. And there were things that I'd hear, I'd be like, uh, I don't know if I believe that. And as time has gone by, I've opened up to a lot of that. There's still things, like I've told a lot of you, I'm still not convinced of uh, reincarnation, although I'm not uncomfortable talking about it at all. I'm totally comfortable talking about the concept and so forth. And I can see why people believe in it. I, I get it. But I just don't believe in it myself. And there are things like that still. And just having that skeptic view of it you know, true skepticism. It's like, I don't know what that is, but I'm not going to draw a conclusion about it. I'm not saying that there is nothing to this reincarnation thing, for example, but I don't think it's what people say it is, but I don't know. And I'm, and I'm just leaving that open. And it's on my shelf of don't believe this, but I am willing to hear more about it. And I'm willing to talk about it. So I think that's kind of what a lot of people are feeling a little bit of hesitancy toward it. But yeah, I have the same experience with people. I like what you talk about how um, this, the near-death experience seems to be consistent with so, what so many of the mystics have experienced. And for any who, you know, we've got a very big audience of Christians, for example. A lot of Christians say, like, mystics? Wait a minute, isn't that like uh, native Indian religion and so forth like that. Well, it includes that, but but Paul, for example, was a mystic. You know, Abraham was a mystic. Moses was a mystic. Anyone who has mystical kind of experiences is a mystic. And I, and I think that's helpful to keep in mind because not all mystics are trying to proselytize some religion and not all religions are speaking of mystics. And so, it's it's understandable if that term sounds a little bit, uh, you know, uh, unclear to some people who are not familiar with what it means. But it it means they had some kind of deeply spiritual experience that is, you might say, supernatural or or deeply spiritual beyond what the physical and scientific explanations can offer. I'm also interested in what uh, Ben says about there being a difference between out-of-body experiences and the near-death experience. And there's a couple of things that I find interesting about that. One is that it sounds like there are people who have near, uh, I'm sorry, uh, out-of-body experiences, what some might call astral travel or something like that, that uh, 
are not spiritually changed by it in any big way. And whether their out-of-body experiences were intentional or unintentional, um, it may not be a big life-changing thing. And I can think of two possible reasons for that. Uh, one being, if you don't leave beyond this realm, you know, say you leave your body and you wander the earth or whatever, um, then you're not going on to that greater light and and knowledge that is available in the deeper realms of the spirit world, if, if you will. I, I'm under the impression that most people who have just out-of-body experiences probably don't go into the light or pass through a tunnel and so forth like that. And if that's the case, I again, I could be wrong because I haven't studied these um, uh, out-of-body experiences extensively. Um, it, it could be that one of the reasons they're not spiritually deeply changed by it is because they don't really leave this realm. They just go in their spirit form around this realm that we're already in. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that you think about those who are likely to intentionally leave their body. They're probably generally already somebody who's open to the possibility of a spiritual realm. And so they may have gone through much of the change that would have taken place had they been, say, an atheist who um, who dies and then goes on to the spiritual realm, or somebody who's deeply religious and, and very dogmatic in their view to the point where they're not open to the possibility that their spirit could leave their body and go into this other realm. Either of those situations are people who were shocked into an experience that was otherwise completely out of every context that they were as yet exposed to. Whereas somebody who intentionally leaves the body is at least open enough spiritually to have such an experience. Now, I suspect there are many who that's as far as they go, and unfortunately, they may not become a deeply spiritual person to the extent that they could if they were to, you know, really seek out God, for example, try to understand Him, try to uh, listen to His Spirit, and try to understand, you know, for example, um, when loved ones die, um, try to have some connection with them um, that's beyond just the love that they had for them in this life. Now, that's going to look different for different people. But, uh, but to those who are really open to spiritual things, relationships don't have to end with death. And uh, though they definitely take on a different shape for those who remain behind as mortals, it doesn't have to end and it can continue. So a few thoughts on that. And I, I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to more of Ben's podcast and, and encourage you guys to take a look at it and listen and see what, see what you think. Here's another comment. This one I received by email um, through the original website, the Near Death Experience Podcast dot uh, and it's on the final uh, episode. So I'm hoping this person found the uh, the new website so that uh, so that she was able to continue to listen to the new episodes. If not, and if you're hearing this, um, I encourage you to do so. Come to near-death-experience-podcast.org 
and you'll see that the podcast is continuing to this day, being October uh, of 2018. Okay, and this is Allison. She says, Hi, Chaz. I unfortunately or fortunately don't have a near-death experience to share with you. I wanted to send you an email letting you know just how much I really enjoy your show. Life is crazy how it winds around. The last couple of years have really been challenging for me emotionally, and I always tried and do try to focus on what I can be learning from a hard situation instead of having a victim of why is this happening to me mindset. I started listening to the podcast starting with the Oprah Super Soul Sunday, and that sort of led me down the spiritual path. I can count on one hand the number of times I went to church as a child. Growing up, I I really was kind of turned off or disinterested with religion. I started exploring it more and asking questions as I got older. Then I had my daughter, who's two and a half, and my whole world shifted on its axis. My priorities changed. My thoughts changed. I changed. I really started thinking about souls. I have some friends who are very religious and want me to go with them to church. I have always been hung up on the fact that Jesus is the way to heaven and you won't get there without him. I have asked so many people if we are all God's children and he sends us to earth, some of us he knows will never follow the Bible or have the opportunity to be taught about Jesus. How could he do that knowing that they won't come back to him? It just never sat right with me and actually was sort of a block, I guess you could say, to even believe in Jesus. Well, after listening to your podcast, when I heard time and time again that religion doesn't matter and that everyone comes back to him, I said out loud, I knew it. And not coming from a place of wanting to be right, it was more so a relief for me to know that the gut feeling I had was true. And I could let those doubts go. Sorry, that was kind of a long rambling story to get my point. One other thing that I'm constantly amazed at is the information that is shared. I listened through the podcast app and only started a couple of weeks ago, but have already gotten through most of the episodes. I started the most recent and am working my way back but I feel like I'm seeing things with new eyes. I feel like I was already leaving somewhat that way, but it's even more so now. My perspectives have once again been shaken up. It has really meant a lot to think that I choose my own struggles in life. I could honestly go on and on about how differently I see things now, but I've rambled on long enough. Thank you so much for what you do. And keep up the amazing work. All the best to you and your family, Allison. Thank you, Allison. What a beautiful email. And thank you so much for um, sharing your thoughts and feelings about this. I think this seems to be something that's so common for people when they start to really study near-death experiences. It's, it just changes the perspective. And and that's been my experience. That's been others' experiences. And and it's no wonder, I guess, for many who, when you introduce the idea, it's no wonder, like we talked about with Ben's comment, that people hesitate. You know, people are afraid of changing their minds. And, you know, while I always tell myself, I want to read a good book that's going to make me see the world entirely different, that's true. And yet, 
I kind of fear that too. You know? What if I read something that makes me think, oh, there is no God, there is no life after, you know, whatever, something that makes life look worse than what it is. And yet, that's never been my experience with, with uh, trying out and learning new things. There are things that I hear that I'm like, no, that's just not true. I, I, I can't accept that. And often those are the things that point me away from God and an afterlife and truth and, and love and so forth. And, and it's good that we turn those things away. And yet, how are we ever going to learn if we're not at least being willing to look somewhat into it? And so thank you, Allison, for uh, sharing this experience. I think this seems to be one of the great things that has come out of this podcast for me personally is being able to communicate and and interact with those who are also feeling like they're on this spiritual path of discovery and learning and getting these new views um, without necessarily having to reject the good parts of your uh, perspective that you already had, but being able to expand upon them. And so... It, that's that I think is very valuable. I have one more comment to share, and I have to apologize. I, uh, I you know, I explained that uh, that last podcast or that last comment was coming from the old Weebly site. I'm wrong. That was actually an email that was sent to me uh, through Near Death Experience Podcast at gmail.com, and this is the one that was from the uh, Weebly site. So I hope that Liz who uh, shared this comment, um, recognizes that we're now on on the new website. So, um, Liz says, I feel compelled to tell you how much I love listening to your podcast. I love the stories, but also love your commentary. I just found this podcast and can't stop listening. I'm a very spiritual person. I have never had a near-death experience before, knock on wood, but I do have precognitive dreams, and some dreams I have had, or I have had, have been similar to what people describe in near-death experiences. And just a quick note before I continue, Liz, I would love to hear <laughs> some of those experiences, unless unless you consider them too, uh, too private, too individual, um, too special to you. I would love to hear some of those experiences, love to share them on the podcast. Um, anyway, continuing her comment. It is so relieving to know people have had these experiences. I feel like there is a purpose for each and every person who has had one to share their experience to spread hope, love, and faith. There is an immense amount of healing in this podcast, as well as healing anytime anyone shares their stories to anyone that will listen. Thank you. And that's the end of her comment. Thank you so much, Liz. That is so good to hear. That's so beautiful to hear. And I really like what you say about people sharing these experiences to spread hope, love, and faith. And there's two things that come to mind. One is that uh, when I started this podcast, one of the reasons I started it is because I wanted one that was devoted exclusive uh, not exclusively in the sense of nothing but 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 devoted um, fully to the near-death experience that uh, these experiences beyond the veil and focusing primarily on that thing because there are other kinds of experiences there's experiences people have with mediums you know 
where they go to someone who connects with somebody on the other side and they have these, uh, you know, uh, this discussion with their um, loved one on the other side through this medium. There's that kind of experiences. There's those who have psychic type, type of experiences. There are psychic mediums. There are, uh, you know, people who have experiences with, uh, you know, I don't know, meditation um, that where they have insights that come to them through it. And I, 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 you know, all those, I don't want to tear down any of that. Um, but I do want to say that I wanted to have a podcast where the primary focus was the kinds of things that we describe in near-death experiences, leaving the body, going into the light, uh, you know, experiencing God, seeing you know, the house of learning and cities and landscapes on the other side of the veil and so forth and and standing in the light that, uh, you know, merging with the light, you know, all that stuff because um, so many of the other incredible podcasts that are out there, those will come up every two or three, sometimes every, you know, one in every 10 episodes. And I wanted to have the focus be these experiences and then spend the rest of the time talking about other stuff, which we do. And, you know, I'm sorry if that's if that's uh, annoying to anybody out there, all my rambling and so forth. But but uh, uh, I'm grateful to Liz uh, to, for, you know, talking about how the, she also loves the commentary, because that's the part that I feel like I have a unique part in you know these experiences are out there for anybody to read you know who's willing to either buy the books or find the websites that have these these uh experiences on them but there aren't many of them in audio format and i know as an audio person that audio is precious and valuable incredibly so and it hits a different audience than those who primarily read their experiences and so forth and and so that's that's one aspect is i uh, I was really excited in creating this podcast to have one that is primarily focused or at least centered on near-death experiences and and then let the rest be an extension of that rather than, you know, kind of throwing it all into one big bucket. Um, the other thing that I, I found valuable about this is um, this spreading of hope and love and faith through sharing near-death experiences, because a lot of the other near-death experience uh, programs out there, be they, you know, books or, or you know, conferences or whatever, a lot of them is, are about helping the near-death experiencers reintegrate into life or integrate their experiences into their life and so forth. It's healing for the experiencer. And, and that is absolutely beautiful, absolutely valuable. I highly encourage that, and and I am so grateful for those that do. Because anybody who has been through a traumatic experience of any kind, positive or negative, needs a family, <laughs> people to that can help them in that thing. But the fact is, is that you know, ninety percent of the population of the world has not had near-death experiences. And even of those who haven't, you know, 90% have, don't know what happens after death. They don't know about the near-death experience, at least in the depth that, uh, that is available to them. You know, they may have heard of, you know, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and go toward the light, and that's about as much as they've heard. 
And, you know, what is that? Is it good? Is it scary? Is it what? You know, they, they may not know. But there is so much hope and, and spiritual growth to be gained in the learning of these things because, I mean, the fact is we're all headed there. We're all going to go there. You know, if any of you are not going to die, let me know because I'm sure that we can make a killing <laughs> helping people learn how not to die. But frankly, from learning these things, I'm not interested <laughs> in not dying. I'm interested in dying at the right time when my purpose is fulfilled and, and so forth. Not right away. I still have children at home. I still have a wife who I absolutely adore and I want to be with her in this life as long as possible and yet I'm excited to be with her on the other side when the time comes too. I'm hoping, <laughs> no I shouldn't say I'm, I'm hoping, uh, but you know it's tempting to hope that after my kids all move out me and my wife will get in a car accident, die instantly and then just go on to eternity but that's selfish of me. <laughs> I hope to accomplish much more good while I'm here but um, once my purpose is fulfilled. I hope our purpose is finished at the same time we get in a car accident, die, and, and move on to the next life. But I'm not going to commit suicide because I know that's not the way to do it. <laughs> in fact, I know that nobody dies before their time if they're really trying to live right, if they're genuinely trying to live right. Anyway, thank you all of you. I it, This means so much to you, to me, to, to hear from you and hear your your thoughts and feelings, please continue to, to send me your, your experiences, your thoughts, your feelings, your comments. It just brightens my day, makes me realize that I definitely should be doing this like, I, like I've been doing it. And, and I have full intent to continue to doing it. As long as the Spirit moves me to keep going, I'm going to keep going. So thank you, all of you, so much again for listening.